right into the Word because I have a lot of Bible today, and I, um, I'm really fired up about this message because I believe that this is something that really is going to um, resonate in our hearts, and I believe that in order for us to really live out this, this process of life, we have to be healed from certain things. And so I'm going to get right into the Word of God. Um, our foundational scriptures are out of Philippians. I won't be reading those today for the sake of time, so you, but you can catch those on the podcast. Um, but I'm going to be reading from Luke um, chapter 8, verse 40 through 42. Luke 8, 40. 42, it says this, when Jesus, Jesus returned, and this is when Jairus um, came up to Jesus, and he's like, man, I, I want you to heal my daughter. And so he comes up to Jesus just in, with anticipation, um, and he says this, when, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying, and she was dying. And so today, as we continue on in our series in process, I want to speak to you on the subject of when Jesus is in the room. When Jesus is in the room, will you pray with me one more time? Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing here. Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that when you're in the room, that you change everything. And so, Father, today, as I speak this message, Father, I thank you, Lord, that, that, that you would be speaking through me. Father, I pray, Lord, for every single person that's in this room, that they wouldn't leave the same way that they came in, Father, that you would change us, that you would make us new, that you would shape us, Father. I thank you for wisdom and revelation and knowledge to flow through me by your Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Father, I get rid of any anxiety. I get rid of any fear that would hinder me from preaching your word today. Father, I thank you, Lord, that that you are great and you are good. And I pray, Lord, that today that your name, the name of Jesus, would be magnified and would be glorified in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So who in here loves going to a concert? Like, like loves going to concerts, all different types of concerts. So I love, I love Justin Timberlake. I love, come on somebody. I love all the bands. I love, I love dancing. Um, if you're not familiar with me, I am a dancer. So I love like the creative aspect of a concert. Uh, me and Lauren went to see Justin Timberlake. We didn't go together, but I ran into her. I was like, hey, you're at Justin Timberlake. So we went about a year and a half ago. And then this, this, just this past week, I went and saw Johnny Swim. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but they were in town, my wife and I, and um, uh, Pastor Sarah and Dave, we went on a double date to see Johnny Swim. And so I love going to concerts because there's always so much anticipation built up around a concert. Like, you go to a concert and you're like, man, like, you've been waiting. Like, I got my, my JT tickets a long time, like, ahead of time. And I was like, man, like, there's just so much anticipation. There's so much buildup happening with concerts. And so this last concert that I went to, it was in a smaller venue. Um, but there was probably about 700 people there. And I remember just going in there. And there was still some anticipation because I like Johnny Swim a lot. I love just what they, they're a Christian band. Um, they're a married couple. And um, they're just awesome, like an awesome just Christian band. And, and they're, they're a little bit more folkish, so I like them as well. And so I remember just going there, and we, we went out to dinner, went out to eat first. And then there's a little bit of anticipation. I'm like, man, I really want to get there. And so we got there around 7.30. And the concert starts around 8. And so we got there at 7.30, and then, you know, the moment where you get to a concert and you're just, like, sitting and waiting. It's like there's just such a buildup. Like, you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And they play music. They're really very, very intentional about it. They play music, and I listen for these things because I, I like productions and I like that. So I was listening to everything that they were doing. They started playing music, and the, the music was a little bit softer. It wasn't as loud. And then they had the opener come out. And this was this guy. He came in. He did the opener. He sung like six songs. I'm like, okay, that was good, but I still want to see Johnny Swim. You know, like that was okay, you know. And so I, I, I and then that, that person played. And then after that, he went off the stage, and then we waited again. 
for another 15 to 20 minutes. And I'm like, man, like there's so much like anticipation being built in this moment. And I, I, I started sitting there. I'm like, man, I started getting a little antsy. I'm like, when, when are they coming on? What's happening? Like, I really want them to come on. I'm so excited for them. And then the music gets louder. And then all of a sudden, like, they just start walking on. And then there's, especially with Justin Timberlake, it's like these guys have, like, a main crazy intro. It's like they, they have the dancers come on. They have the band come on. And then, like, 15 minutes later, here's JT. And so I just remember, like, like sitting at all these concerts because I love just going to different concerts. And I'm like, man, there's so much anticipation that happens when you go to a concert. And so in this moment last week when I was sitting down, I'm like, man, there's so much anticipation in, in this room right now. And I started thinking about when, when Jesus walks into the room, how we should have that much anticipation. We should have that much expectation. And so everybody shout with me, number one. My first point for you is this. We must have a sense of desperation when Jesus is in the room. So today we're talking about the process of healing and how, how we're supposed to allow Jesus to come into our lives and really make us new in the process of healing. And so when we're dealing and talking about the process of healing, we must have a sense of desperation when Jesus is in the room. Mark 5, 21 through 34. This is about the woman with the issue of blood. And this is on, on the way to Jairus' house. So these, these connect. So really watch this. There's a lot of scripture. I'm really going to read verse 21 through 34. It says this. Jesus went back across to the other side of the lake. There at the lakeside, a large crowd gathered around him. Jairus, an official of the local synagogue, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he threw himself down at his feet and begged him earnestly, My little daughter is very sick. Please come and place your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Verse 24. Then Jesus started off with him. So many people were going along with Jesus that they were crowding him from every side. So picture this. So Jesus is walking to Jairus' house, and there, uh, in commentaries they say there was probably hundreds of thousands of people just crowding Jesus. And so Jesus is trying to get to Jairus' house, but there's people just around him pushing through, and he's trying to make it to Jairus' house. So get this picture. Jesus is really pushing through the crowd. And so he says in verse 25, there was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years. So this is a woman with the issue of blood. This is when she comes into play. So Jesus is on his way to a different, he has a different mission, but there's this woman that was there. So there was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years. Even though she had been treated by many doctors, she had spent all her money. But instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. Verse 27. She had heard about Jesus, so she came in the crowd behind him saying to herself, she just kept saying to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will get well. If I just touch his clothes, I will get well. She kept saying this to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will get well. Verse 29, she touched his cloak, and her bleeding stopped at once. And she had the feeling inside herself that she was healed of her trouble. At once, Jesus knew that power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Who touched my clothes? And his disciples answered, Jesus, like, are you serious? There's, there's 100 people around you. Everybody's touching you. Everybody, what are you talking about? Like, hello? Like, there's like, there's like Jesus, you're supposed to be the son of God, and you're kind of acting a little dumb right now. Why, what do you, like, there's people, there's people around you, like, everywhere, all sides. And he said, no, 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 no. Who, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman realized what had happened to her. So she came trembling with fear 
knelt at his feet and told him the whole truth. Jesus said to her, my daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your trouble. You see, what I see in this, in this text is a woman who was desperate for Jesus to touch her. She was desperate for healing. And, and God gave me this picture this morning. As I was going through this message, I was like, okay, God really just gave me this picture just this morning as I was preparing. And he said, imagine this. Imagine we all have homes, right? Every single one of us has some type of a home. We all have different sizes of home. We have, some of us have two bedrooms. Some of us have one bedroom. Some of us have no bedrooms, a studio, whatever. But imagine you being in your home. And, and we all have a living room. We have a kitchen. We have a bathroom. We have a bedroom. And imagine us going home every single day and realizing when we invite people over, most nine times out of ten, we don't show them our bedroom. We show them the good parts of our house, right? Like there's always a closet that's messy. There's always something. But nine times out of ten, you don't say, okay, you can go into my room. Let's all oh, hang out in my bedroom. That's just weird. We don't do that. But so I realized in this moment, God told me this morning, he's like, imagine, imagine this is what we do as Christians. We allow Jesus to come into our heart. And when we allow him to come into our heart, it's like we allow him to come into our living room. But Jesus told me, a lot of people are, are inviting me into their hearts, but they're not inviting me into their bedroom. They're not inviting me into their bathroom, meaning they're not inviting me into to the, the anger that they've been holding on to for so long. They're not inviting me to the fear that cripples them every single day. They're not inviting me to the shame that they've held on for so long. They're not inviting me into the condemnation that they deal with every single day. They're not inviting me into the lust room that they deal with every single day. And I realized that in that, in that moment that a lot of us, we're, we're accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we say, Lord, come into my heart. We say, come into my heart. But then when he starts triggering things and when he starts pushing buttons and saying, oh, no, no, I want to deal with that pain. I want to deal with that insecurity. I want to deal with that worry. I want to deal with that frustration. I want to deal with that fear. We're like, no, 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 Jesus. I want you just in my living room. I just want you to be in my living room. I don't really want you to touch those areas that I'm really dealing with in my life. I just want you to be in my living room. And we treat God as a living room Jesus. Come on. We treat him as a living room Jesus, and we don't really accept him and say, Lord, I need you to come into this area of my life, the deep parts that no one knows, the secrets that you're hiding that no one knows. Guess what? Jesus knows, and he wants to come into that place and that space and make you new. But one thing we have to do is we have to be desperate for Jesus. When this woman touched him and said, man, 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 if I could just touch him, if I could just get into the presence of him, if I can just get there, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She had such faith and dignity and she had such desperation that she did anything. She did anything. She would do anything. Imagine being sick for 12 years. Imagine carrying something for 12 years. And a lot of us in this room, we are carrying something. It may not be sickness, but we're carrying some shame. It may not be, be, be sickness in your body, but we're carrying fear. We're carrying anxiety. We're carrying lust. We're carrying shame that we're holding on to for so long. But Jesus is like, no, no, no. I want to get into that room. I want to get into that dark room where you, know, you, where you don't let any light shine. That's the room I want to be. That's the space that I want to be in. And so I love this woman. She was so desperate for him. And I'm using this as an illustration figuratively because obviously they weren't in a room. But she said, no, no, no. If I get into the presence of him. I will be made whole. And a lot of us, we're not getting into his presence. We're coming to church once a week and say, okay, that was a good message. 
And then Monday hits and Tuesday hits, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we haven't been in his presence. And we're wondering why we're still dealing with the things that we're dealing with. We're wondering why we're still holding on to the shame. And God's saying, no, 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 you're not letting me into that space. I want to be in that space. Allow me to come in. Allow me to shape you. Allow me to create something new in you. That's why I love David. He always cried out. He said, create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Because he knew that when Jesus came into his heart, he's like, no, no, no. I know it's not just enough to come into my heart, but I know that I have to cry out to you every single day and say, Lord, create in me a new heart. A new heart. Day to day. Moment to moment. Minute by minute. Hour by hour. He's saying, no, no, no. I need you to come into my space. Come into my heart. And create in me a right spirit. And so in order for us to really allow Jesus to come in, and, and really invade our space, we have to be desperate for him. I don't know if you've ever been really desperate. A lot of us aren't really desperate anymore in life. And I know that that word is so, so harsh in the sense of like, man, I'm not desperate for anything. No, no, no. We need to be desperate for Jesus because without him, we are nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And so we have to have a desperation for Jesus. You see, a lot of us in this room are waiting, wanting healing from Jesus, but we aren't desperate enough to do what we need to do to receive that healing. We're not desperate enough to do what we need to do to receive the healing that God has already given us. We're not desperate enough. And so we have to be desperate when Jesus is in the room. Everybody shout number two. Our greatest weakness Jesus uses for his strength. Our greatest weakness Jesus uses for his strength. Mark 10, 46 through 52, it says this. A blind man talks about, this is about blind Bartimaeus. And so they said, it says this. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on me. Many warned him to keep quiet. This is that desperation. This is that hunger. This is that cry. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he cried out loud all the more. He said, have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Call him. So they called the blind man and said to him, have courage. Get up. He's calling you. And a lot of us need to hear that right now. Jesus is calling us. You may feel like he's not calling you. You may feel like you, you can't hear him. But he's saying, no, 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 I've, I'm, I'm calling you. Have courage. I'm calling you. Take heart. Then Jesus answered him. So, so they called the blind man and said to him, have courage. Get up. He's calling for you. He threw off his coat, jumped up. That's expectation. Jumped up. And came to Jesus, verse 51. Then Jesus answered him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Even though Jesus could see that he was blind, this is like another like ditz, ditzy moment. I'm like, Jesus, I'm, what, do you, I mean, what, 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 like, what do you mean, what do you want me to do for you? Like, I'm blind. Hello, sight. Huh? Like, he's, he asked him, he's like, what do you want me to do for you? But I love that because that's the love of the Father. Because he could have been like, he could have asked for anything in that moment. And he said this. He said, I want to see. 
what do you want me to do for you? And I love this because he calls him Rabbani. The blind man said to him, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has saved you. Immediately he could see and begin to follow Jesus on the road. I love that. He could have gone a whole different way. He could have said, okay, I got my eyesight, and I'm going to go and do this. I'm going to go do my own thing. But no, what did he do? He received his sight and immediately followed. He received his sight and immediately followed. You see, a lot of us in this room, Jesus has given us things, but we're not following him afterwards. We forget that our, what we were weak in and that God made us strong in years ago, we forget about that, and we don't follow him. You see, our greatest weakness becomes his greatest strength. That means whatever you're going through, whatever sickness or pain or shame that you're dealing with, that weakness becomes his strength. Why? Because he wants to be glorified in our weakness. He wants to be glorified in your shame. He wants to be glorified in your pain. He wants to be glorified in your frustration. He wants to be glorified above everything else. So your greatest weakness, whatever that may be, is different for every single person in this room. Our greatest weakness becomes his strength. I love it in the Bible. It says, when I am weak, he is made strong. When I don't live up to a certain standard, he is made strong in me. When I don't amount to anything, Jesus amounts to everything because he is strength. He is my strength. He is my guide. He is my power. And so our greatest strength can become Jesus' biggest and greatest. Um, our greatest weakness can become his greatest strength. He wants to be glorified in everything that we do. And I started thinking about, as I was wrestling with this message this week, I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even, like, these points I kept toiling around with and kind of changing them because I didn't want to hear them for myself. Literally. I'm speaking from a place of process. I'm in process just as much as you're in process. Just because I'm speaking up here doesn't mean I'm in, not in a process. I'm still in a process. And I started thinking about, man, what have I, what have I not turned to Jesus in? When I, what have I forgotten about over the years? What he's brought me out of? I started thinking about the things that he's brought me out of, the shame and all the condemnation and the things that I've faced over years and years that I've suppressed for so long that he's like, man, I, I want to be in that space. I want to be in that place. I want to be in your heart. I started thinking about all these things. I started thinking about my weaknesses and where, where I, have, I have no strength in it and what God has brought me out of. And he's given me strength in certain areas, but I haven't really thanked him for those things in a long time. And I really was challenged this week to say, man, I need to start thanking him. I need to start um, um, just admiring him for who he is, the strength of who he is in my life. Because I am weak. We're all human. We all face certain things in life. We're all in some type of process. This church, that's why I love the well. It's because we're all in some type of process. It's not a place of perfection, but we're all in process. And we're in process together. But we have to know that we are weak without Jesus. That we are weak. We are nothing without him. And so our greatest weakness, Jesus uses for his strength. I love that with blind Bartimaeus. And I love how blind Bartimaeus immediately turned and followed him instead of going his own way. Everybody shout number three. When Jesus is in the room, he changes everything. When Jesus is in the room, he changes everything. Have you guys ever encountered, and don't look at anybody, don't look at your neighbor, don't look at your spouse. But have you guys ever encountered somebody that's so negative? Like negative all the time. Like it could be somebody that's at work, at your job, 
and you just know, like, you can be having the best of days, and you're going to work, and it's the person that you sit next to, and there's always some type of negativity. Always. Like, there's nothing that they're grateful about. They're just like, why am I here? I hate this job. I hate everybody. I hate my life. I hate the way that I look. It's just terrible. And they're just negative. Everything's just so negative. And then it ends up, you, you, you end up being negative by the end of the day, and you're like, man, you go home, and your spouse is like, why are you so negative? And you're like, I don't know why I'm negative. I'm just negative. And it's, you realize that it's because of that person that you encountered all day long that was negative. And it's the, the opposite is true as well. Have you ever, ever experienced somebody that has so much positivity? They're like this man, like you just like, ah, uh, like there's never a down day. It's like, man, like can you just be sad with me for one moment? Like, it's like, man, why are you so happy all the time? They're just like, they're happy to be at work. They're happy to get up at 4 a.m. They're happy to do this. They're happy to, it's like, happy-go-lucky land. It's like, what? Oh, I'm just so happy. I'm like, no, I'm not happy right now. I want, I'm frustrated. I don't want to be around you. I, I don't want to be happy. And it's, the opposite is true. But in that moment, I realized that those people change the atmosphere of the room. They change the atmosphere of the room. Every single time when they get up here for worship, what do they do? They're changing the atmosphere of the room. When we get in here, we expect the atmosphere to change. We expect Jesus to show up. We expect him to show out. Why? Because there's an expectation there. We expect things to happen. And just as much as that negative person or the positive person is true, when Jesus comes into the room, when he comes into the area of your life, when you allow him into the deep parts of your life that no one knows about, he changes that part of your life. He changes everything. When he steps into the room, imagine this. When Jesus steps into the room, if he were to come into your house and he stepped into your bedroom, you'd be like, ooh, it's not neat. It's not nice, Jesus. Like, I don't want you to come in here. I have my living room couch is very nice. You want to sit on my couch? It's like you have this, this thing. It's like, man, it's like this, 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 this kind of like, uh, why are you here? And that's how we treat Jesus sometimes. We're like, mm, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to deal with this, this right now, this insecurity that I've been holding on to for so long. I don't want to deal with that. We're like, Ugh. you can come into my living room. Everything's great in the living room. Everything's nice. And a lot of times we come to church with these, with these attitudes of everything being nice, we have to, we put on this persona of like, man, everything's good. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. Praise the Lord. I'm blessed going in, brother, and I'm blessed going out, sister. I'm blessed in the fields. I'm blessed everywhere. I'm blessed. I'm so good. And you like put on this plastic smile and really deep down inside you're hurting. You're like, I'm not good. I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much frustration. I'm literally in depression. I almost wanted to take my life this week. You, you're dealing with all these issues. But the church is a place of a hospital. It's a place where we can come in broken. It's a place where we can come in messed up. It's a place that we don't have to be perfect. We come in as we are. Why? Because we come in here expecting Jesus to do something in our lives. This place is a place where we can come out really charged up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and get the Word of God in us so that we can be all that God has called us to be and do everything that God has called us to do. It's a place where we can come and be recharged. But we have to know that when Jesus comes into the room, He changes everything. Somebody shout everything. Everything. That's everything you're dealing with. He comes into the room and he will change it and he will make you new. But guess what? 
it's going to take some surgery. It's not going to be the most beautiful thing. It's not going to be the easiest thing for him to come into the dark areas of your life and really change those areas. But when he comes into the room, he changes everything. Mark 5. I'll have the band come up. Mark 5. Chapter 5, 34 through 43. It says this. While Jesus was saying this, some messengers came from Jairus' house and told him, your daughter has died. So this is the moment where they start doubting and they start getting an unbelief, which we all do. This is a human nature side of us. Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? 36. Jesus paid no attention to what they said, but told him, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. Some of us in this room need to hear that. Don't be afraid, only believe. Whatever you're going through, don't be afraid, only believe. Verse 37, then he did not let anyone else go on with him except Peter, James, and his brother, John. So before this, this is when he was traveling to Jairus' house. So he just encountered the woman with the issue of blood. And all these people were surrounding him. He's like, no, 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 I need to peel off. I need to go with just these guys. And so he goes to Jairus' house. And, and they arrived at Jairus' house where Jesus saw the confusion and heard all the loud crying and wailing. So they go to his house. They get, get this picture. Jesus walks into their house. And I picture him walking into the living room where everybody's gathered. And there's so much turmoil and there's so much grief, which is great. That's fine. We're We're human. There should be grief. There should be pain in this time. So they arrived at Jairus' house where Jesus saw the confusion and heard all the loud crying and wailing. He went in and said to them, why all the confusion? Why all the confusion? Why are you crying? The child is not dead. She is only sleeping. So Jesus came into the living room with expectation himself and said, why are you crying? What's happening right now? She's not dead. She's only sleeping. Verse 40. They started making fun of him. So he put them all out. And I love that. Because to me, when people start making fun of me about who I believe and the Jesus that I follow, some of us need to put out the negativity that's in our lives. That goes to show me that he was putting out the negativity. He was saying, no, 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 you cannot be here. There's no negativity that are going to be here. There's only people of faith that are going to believe. And I believe, that's why I love, I, I love um, being a part of the well, because a lot of my best friends are here at the well. And I believe that there's power in agreement. There's power in faith coming together. And so some of us need to get rid of the negativity that's happening in our lives. The people that, that don't follow Jesus, I don't know Jesus, and they're talking bad about you, and don't realize that, that he has healed you or saved you, and they're making fun of you, put them out. Put them out. We have to be surrounded by people of faith that are going to fight the battle with us, that are going to be there with us. And so I love that moment when Jesus said, no, 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 you can make fun of me all you want, but you're going to go by. Bye-bye. I'm putting you out. So they started making fun of him. So he put them all out, took the child's father and mother and his three disciples, and went into what? The room. He went into the room where the child was lying. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl. Talitha kum, little girl, I tell you, get up. Get up. She got up at once and started walking around. She was 12 years old when this happened. They were completely amazed. He said, Talitha kum, get up. 
God is saying, Talitha Cohen, get up out of your misery. He's saying, get up out of your frustration. He's saying, get up out of your fear. Get up out of that sickness. Get up out of that disease. Get up out of that insecurity and that pain. Every, all the shame that you're dealing with. He's saying, get up. Get up. It's time. It's time to allow me to come into the room, and I want you to get up. Stop laying on your bed of insecurity. Stop laying on your bed of frustration. Stop laying on your bed of fear. Stop laying on your bed of doubt. Stop laying on your bed of, of, of pain and misery and sadness and say, get up. Get up. Jesus is in the room. We don't have time to be sad. We don't have time to be mad. Get up. Jesus is in the room. Jesus is in the room. Some of you need to hear that. It, Jesus is in your room. You've invited him into your heart. Now allow him to come into your room. Allow him to shape you and make you everything that you're supposed to be. I have to do this for myself. This week I was like, man, man, man. Oh, God started bringing out some past things into me. I was like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Jesus, I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't want to deal with that pain. We can all stand up in this moment. I don't want to deal with that frustration right now. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I want you to deal with it. But you're going to get up from it. We're going to get up from it. You're going to stop holding on to it. You're going to stop holding on to that insecurity. You're going to stop holding over to that sin that you, that you committed years ago. You're going to stop hanging on to it. And you're going to get up from it. And you're going to walk and you're going to go forward with boldness knowing that I am for you and not against you. That I am with you in this moment. I am with you in that dark room. I am with you in the bathroom. I am with you wherever you go. The Bible says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. So that means he is with us. But we have to allow him into the room. Come on, we have to allow him to shape us and make us everything that he has created us to be. We're talking about the process of healing. Some of you guys are hurting in this room right now, but you're suppressing it right now in this moment. But God's saying, no, release it. Let me in that room. I want to be in that room. Talitha Cohen, get up. Get up. Get up. I want to be in that room. And I love it because it says in the word of God, where two or more are gathered, Guess what? He's in the midst. And so right now, even if you don't believe it, even if you can't fathom it, Jesus is in this room. Jesus is in this room. And I know a lot of times we start, we start shouting Bible, Bible verses, and it's so easy for us to say this because Jesus was literally walking from town to town. This woman literally touched the hem of his garment. These people really experienced Jesus. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is in this room. He's in the midst of your situation. He's in the midst of your circumstance. He wants to heal you. He's saying, come on. Come on. I want to love you. I want to be there for you. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I said I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But you have to allow him into the room. A lot of us are having the door shut to our bedroom. It's locked. We've thrown, we've thrown away the keys. We don't even want anybody to come into that area. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm coming to that area. I'm in that room. I want to be in that room. Open the door. Open the door. Open the door. He's in the room.